listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. I'm going to share a bit of my story tonight, which is cool. And I'm so excited because honestly, the church has radically changed my life. If you had told me seven years ago, Talia, you're going to be on stage preaching to, I don't know, 100, 100 people, I would have literally told you, get out. Like, no chance that would ever happen. No chance I would ever end up here. But here I am, and it's only a testament to God's faithfulness, His goodness, and His pursuit of me um, in my life, um, which is so good. And um, what I love about church is, like Pastor Craig said, it's so much more than a building. It's so much more than just some bricks or some lights or some concrete panels, um, if you like. And, you know, for me personally, I've had the privilege to travel all around Europe. I got to go to Israel last year and I've seen some breathtaking architecture. I've seen some breathtaking cathedrals that give glory to who God is in their, in their monuments, I guess. But God's house is more about the people who, in, who inhabit it. It's about the people who make it up rather than... You you know, stained glass windows, if that's been um, more of your experience. So I'd love to take a moment to pray and, and then I'll get into a little bit of my story. So, Lord, I just thank you that you are so here, our God, that you see every single one of us, God, that you have a plan for every single one of us. Lord, that you move through your people, God, your people in your house. And I just pray, Lord, that you would um, say whatever you need to say tonight, Lord, that you'd use my words, God, that you'd bring breakthrough and freedom and shift in our lives tonight, God, as we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Awesome. Well, I'm not sure how you came to be here tonight or what your story with church has been like, what your experience um, of church has been like, but uh, like but like I said, for myself, this is totally, uh, it's not foreign anymore, but to me, uh, seven years ago, this was quite a foreign environment for me. I came from a very traditional church background, uh, having an Italian sort of heritage. I didn't have a choice of going to church. You just went sort of two, three times a year for the special occasions. Um, and my dad and I literally were those people who used to sit in the back of the pews and tease the priest. Literally, we were the ones who would like laugh at the robes and laugh at everything that was going on. We were just those, um, you know, people who would just go to church, tick the box and just make fun of what was happening. Um, quite cruel, um, you know, but it was fine. It was my dad's fault. It wasn't my fault. He was a bad influence on me, um, which was so good. So um, for me, really, it was just a building. It, it was, there was nothing that was sort of I could sense that was in inhabiting it, that was changing my life. It wasn't until, uh, you know, I was sort of out of high school, um, finding, finding, my place, finding myself in a place where I knew that God couldn't be real. There was just no way. Jesus was just some guy that walked the earth a few years ago, had a good life and then disappeared for all we knew. Until um, my best friend at the time actually was a Christian and she really just started to share more about what God was doing in her life, what he was doing in the lives of her friends. Um, and really miraculous stories that you, you really just can't deny that God is real. People being addicted to drugs, for example, people whose lives were just in total mess and just disrepute, totally redeemed, turned around by the power of God and Jesus in their life. And I would sort of sit there and go, okay, well, I can't really, I can't really logically work out how that could happen. Like you can't, there are just some things that you can't logically work out because it's supernatural, right? God does a miracle, which is amazing. And then at that time, she introduced me to one of her good friends who was Daniel. So ended up getting married to that guy, which is awesome. But at the time, I just had so many questions and Daniel was able to provide a lot of answers to what I was looking for, what I was searching for. And I thought, you know what, what have I got to lose? I'll give this whole church thing a go. And from the moment I found myself in life, I immediately thought, 
people were just so nice, so genuine. I think a lot of us would probably echo the same thing. You're like, how can people be so nice? Like, are they being real? Like, yes, we are being real. Like, God's changed our life. Like, we're genuinely, you know, joyful and known. Life's not perfect all the time, but we have a lot to be thankful for and, and happy about. And, um, you know, I did think worship was weird. I won't lie. I did think the, the hands up thing, that was very different to me. That was very like, okay, what's happening here? But I'll never forget uh, the preacher was just the funniest guy. And I was like, you don't laugh in church. Like, this is hilarious. Like, who's letting this guy tell all these jokes? Like, this is just amazing. And for me, I love humour. I love having a good time. So for me, I really connected with that. And I thought, okay, this is this is refreshing. I think there's something here um, that, I, that I could sort of, you know, find, find myself to be. Um, and it was the second week that I came and it was actually Pastor Luke de Jong. He's a part of our executive team here who preached a message all around hope. And for me, I was, you know, an 18-year-old wondering what my purpose was in life. I was wondering, you know, what happens when we die? We surely can't just go in the ground and just, you know, rot out. There must be something more. There must be a greater purpose to life. And he spoke this brilliant message about hope. And his last line was pretty much like um, something along the lines of most people or a lot of people um, see a hopeless end or some people choose to see endless hope and you can choose tonight what you want to see and I was like oh my gosh like you know has anyone had that moment where you feel like there's just a finger pointing right at you and you're like how does he know about my life but really it was the message that was perfect for me at that time and that's when I decided to make the decision to follow Jesus. It was very contrary to what was going on in my mind. I was, you know, like I said, raised in a family that was not really um, spiritual in that sense, didn't really bring any honour to God or anything like church. So I was like, you know, in my mind, what are you doing? But my heart just knew that it was so right that when you encounter something that's real, you know, you can't really, it just defies all your logic. So a week later, I got baptised, which again was something that I never thought that I would do because I just thought it was the weirdest thing. But I asked God for a sign in that moment and he spoke to me so clearly. I had a vision of um, baptism, long story short, and decided, you know, two weeks after I got saved to be baptised. And I know now, although I didn't understand the significance of it at the time, I was such a young Christian, looking back, I know that through my simple act of obedience, really, my simple trust in God, God's grown my faith in such an incredible way, accelerated my journey and um, my relationship with him has just gone to another level because of that. And um, from that point, you know, begin to journey with God. The Word gives you just a whole new perspective on life. And to me, really, church became a place where I experienced breakthrough in places that I didn't even know I needed breakthrough in, in mindsets, perceptions, um, you know, paradigms from my upbringing, thoughts that I, things that I expected life to be like. Um, you know, people constantly build you up. People are encouraging you. You're in an environment that spurs you forward. Does this make, is, can anyone else relate to this tonight? Yeah, so good. I can honestly say after six years, I'm a totally different person. Like I literally, I think to myself, I don't know if you do this, but you think back to, you know, your early years or, you know, maybe you've been here in a Christian for a few years and you think back to when you first encountered the presence of God and you're like, man, who am I today? Like God's done so much in my life and I don't have it all together. I haven't arrived by any means, but I know that what he's done for me has just been incredible. And I know that Really, if it hasn't been for the family of believers, for his church, for all of us working together, I would never be who I am today. I would never be where I am today. And I know that um, a lot of it comes down to the way that we see his church and the way that we perceive his church to be. So really, my question for us tonight is, how do we see the church? When you hear that word, how do you, what's your perception of it? What is your idea of it? How do you take it? 
And like I said, I definitely don't stand up here thinking that I know everything or that I've arrived in any sense of the word. But I think a lot of times, with myself included, we diminish the power of the church and we miss what God really wants to do through it and the power of what God's destined it to be. You know, do we see it as a place where God's presence dwells and His Spirit is moving within His people, um, where we can love each other, love the world around us? Do we see ourselves as the church? Or we, do we see it as maybe just for some of us, like I said, maybe it's just a building. Maybe it's just somewhere where even for different circumstances in the past, you've experienced some hurt. Maybe things have been mishandled handled for you in the past. So now it's just a place where you come and you can't really settle. Maybe you don't really feel comfortable um, in God's house because you haven't experienced that forgiveness or that love that is so God's heart. Or maybe for some of us, you know, church is more of a social event. We come, we say our oh, mates, it's awesome, get around people and then we leave and we're sort of not getting any different. We're not really changing. We're sort of staying the same as how we are because we don't see it as a place that's active and um, invested in our, in our personal lives. Or maybe we're just familiar and we think it's for a selected few people like myself to be passionate about. But I love that God's house is for everyone. It's for everyone to get excited about. It's for everyone to be passionate about. Um, and what I really want to do tonight, wherever we find ourselves, however long you've been here, whether it's five minutes, 15 years, the whole point of going back to the basics is to give God an opportunity to refresh our foundations, to bring realignment. If there's, um, you know, one thing to take away tonight, it's that God's house, His church is so much more than a building. It is His people. So to start with, I'd love us to take a look at what the first church looked like in Acts um, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bible and you want to turn with me there, that'll be awesome. But if you don't know, uh, the Acts church was the church that formed after Jesus had gone back to heaven, um, after his resurrection. It was made up of, of an eclectic group of people who'd followed Jesus. They'd been baptised, they'd received his spirit, and now they're sort of gathering and doing this thing that we call church. And I love it. It says, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the communal life, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. All came upon everyone and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their property and possessions, divide them among all according to each other's need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple area and to the breaking of bread in their homes. They ate their meals with exaltation and sincerity of heart, praising God and enjoying favour with all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And what I love is that the early church understood that the church was simply a gathering of people. It was simply a gathering of believers. People had seen firsthand the miracles that Jesus had worked. Um, others who had heard of his good news, of the good news of his resurrection, repented and followed him. My favourite part of that is it, how, how it says they were devoted to communal life, to the breaking of bread, communion and prayers, because they understood that the power of God was working within them and they were committed to journeying together. They knew that they couldn't do life alone. They knew they couldn't outwork this new faith journey by themselves. They were together and they were committed to it. Because I believe that every single human being on this earth has been destined for a relationship with people. Doesn't matter what your personality is like, doesn't matter what your upbringing's been like, every single one of us has been designed to fit in a community. Can you agree with me on that? So good. There's power in unity and God's heart is that we'd all be united under one name and that name is Jesus and in that 
is at the heart of everything that we do. And, you know, I'm not saying that we should all sell, sell everything and live together in one big communal property. I definitely wouldn't be down for that. But the rest of it, I think they, had, they were sort of onto something. That probably wouldn't work in our context. But there's value to what they were doing because God's house had become a home. So what I'd love to do tonight is look at three commitments that we can make that enable God's house to become our home, for His church to become who we are, not just a place we attend. So are you ready for that tonight? Awesome. All right, let's do it. Point number one, we have to commit to being close. For a house to become a home, it's about the relationships we form with other people in the house. Uh, And a little bit of my um, sort of early story being married to Daniel, um, we lived with my father-in-law who I adore for the first six months of our marriage. Our house was getting built, so we had to live with him. And at the time, his house was still unfinished. So to give you a little bit of a picture, concrete walls, no tiles, kitchen cabinetry wasn't finished, concrete shower, um, all that sort of thing. But that's the stuff I could live with. You know, I was a newlywed, life was great. You know, you sort of look past over those things. At least I had a roof over my head. I couldn't really, couldn't really complain. But at the same time, my brother-in-law, Josh, whom I also adore, was living with us. And he decided for some bizarre reason to get a pet Brazilian macaw. I think we have a photo of the Brazilian macaw. That's him there. His name was Hugo, not a dog. We have other ones. Where you can see his true beauty. Look at that. Wow. Amazing. Doesn't belong in a house, people. He belongs out there in the wild. But anyway, we'll save that for another, another day. But the funny thing at the time is that I was just working casually. So a lot of the time I was home alone with this bird. And if you know anything about Brazilian macaws, they actually are super intelligent. They are not just, they don't just fly around. They actually, are, they can learn stuff. So this bird, Hugo, learned how to get out of his cage, which was in the lounge room, which was where I was watching TV in peace most of the day. So this thing would fly around, try and fly and land on me. And honestly, I was petrified of it because he had these huge talons like this. And he wanted to land on my shoulders. And it was the worst thing. I was stuck at home with this bird, would run in my room and just let it wreak havoc in the house until someone, Daniel or someone, came home and locked it away. Um, I was so terrified. And so because of that and many other reasons, really, that house should never have been my home. I should not have been comfortable. I should not have been relaxed. Like, first six months of marriage, babe, what were you thinking? Like, anyway, it's been three years. I've moved on. It's fine. I still have nightmares of Hugo, but he was set free, praise the Lord, a short time after that, where he should be. (laughs) So good. But you know what I love is that for us tonight, God has set up an environment for us to connect for us to build relationship to become a family and just like me what made that house a home was the relationships I formed with obviously my husband Daniel but my father-in-law Paul and Josh and the memories we made together in that time the support that we gave each other the things that we walked through in that time that's what enabled that house to feel somewhat like a home and what I've realized about family and, and things feeling like a home and that is that it doesn't happen overnight that you've got to stick it out that you see the good the bad and the ugly that's what happens when you get close to people because none of us none of us are perfect and when I was preparing I just felt like God said you know for some of us church will never become our home because we're just too busy staring at the giant macaw that's flying around if you will if you'll go with me on my analogy you know we're too busy looking at what's wrong with the church or what's lacking or you know other people's imperfections and you know I'm, I'm talking to myself as well but 
in order for us, for church to become that home, for us to really invest, we've got to look past the macaw. You know, we've got to just forget it's, forget it's there like I did. You know, not forget it's there, but actually deal with it. Have conversations with people. Let's let God's grace do a great work among us. Move together in love and, you know, see past it. In every family, to love each other wholeheartedly, we've got to get secure in our identity as sons and daughters. I think this is such a pivotal part. You know, in every family, you've got to know that your dad loves you. You've got to know that your mum loves you. And, you know, whatever your um, earthly sort of family history has been like, I know we all come from different backgrounds, but for us in the Christian family, in the spiritual family, God loves us all. God has called each of us one of his sons and daughters um, and that you are chosen to be in this family. And I love what it says in Galatians 3, 26, verse 28. It says, For through faith you are all children of God in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free person. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all brothers and sisters with Christ. If we actually just think about that for a second, Jesus is my older brother, which is awesome. Um, So cool. But this is our spiritual family. And, you know, this is why we're so passionate about groups. This is why we harp on about groups all the time while we meet you in the foyer. And the the second thing we say is, are you in a group? Do you want to be in a group? You should be in one because that's where we do life with each other that's where we find people in a similar stage of life where we can grow where we can support each other um where we can you know find community and so if you're not in a group can you please tell someone tell me or tell anyone really because we'd love to help you get connected not just for the for the sake of it but for your your sake to help you in your journey and I think life is going to give us a thousand reasons to not get close to people, to not let people in. But when we do, we flourish, not just individually, but collectively as well. I want to look at what it says in Psalm 92 verse 14. And Pastor Paul, our senior uh, pastor, preaches about this all the time. But it says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit even in old age. They will stay fresh and green to proclaim the Lord is just my rock in whom there is no wrong. And I think this is so great because it talks about becoming part of something bigger than ourselves. I don't know about you, but when I, you know, in the years to come, I want to stay fresh and green. I don't want to be brown and withered. And I think God's word is so great in this because it's saying, just stay planted in my house. Just put your roots down, find people around you where you can put your roots among them and let's just grow together and and walk this journey out together. Does that make sense? Awesome. The second thing for God's house to become our home is we have to commit to bringing who we are, to commit to bringing who we are. And what is amazing is that there is room for every single person in God's house. There is room for us to bring our whole self, our true self, to bring the best you for the sake of the whole family. When we don't bring our best self and who we truly are, the rest of the family misses out. It's almost like there's, you know, I'm missing the family because there's, you know, there's someone missing if you like. It's put so perfectly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 26, and we know it. It's talking about the body. And it says, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So is Christ. For, for, for by one spirit we were all baptised into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, but I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any lesser part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And, and when I think of that, I think we'd all just be a bunch of Mike Wazowski's walking around. Can you imagine that? Anyone know Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc.? Imagine if we were just an eye. Oh my gosh, how weird. We'd all freak each other out when we saw each other. 
But it goes on to say, but as it is, I like that one. But as it is, God placed the parts, each one of them in the body as he intended. Where you are is where God has intended you to be. You're not a mistake, the part that God's called you to play. He's actually intended for you to be there. If they were all one part, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. For I cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor again the head to the feet, I do not need you. Indeed, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are all the more necessary. And those parts of the body that we consider less honourable, we surround with greater honour. And our less presentable parts are treated with greater propriety, whereas our more presentable parts do not need this. But God has so constructed the body as to give greater honour to a part that we that is without it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the parts would have the same concern for one another. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honoured, all the parts share in its joy. Now you are Christ's body and individually parts of it. We are all Christ's body. We have, have value not only individually, but as a whole body. We suffer together. We rejoice together. That's how God desires His family to work in proximity with people so that when you're suffering, I'm suffering with you. When you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing with you. Your win is my win. You know, if you look at it, Quickly, as a sport analogy, I played soccer in my teenage years. I loved it. Um, you know, I played right wing because I was little and I was just quick. So I used to just dart in and out of people and just, you know, cross the ball into the striker if you know anything about soccer. But has anyone ever seen those videos about the goalies who decide to have a glory moment, a hero moment, and they take the ball from their position way back there and try and score a goal on the other end and they end up conceding the ball and they cop a goal for their own team? Like, because they're not sticking to their position. They're not playing the part that they were meant to be playing. But at the same time, when you've got a player who's not 100%, maybe because of effort or injury, there's other team members who pick up the slack for that team member. There's other players that can come alongside you and lift you up when you're struggling, when you're down. We have to recognise that our diversity is what makes us beautiful. And who are we to despise the part that God has called us to play when He's made you that way, when He's designed you to be that way? Don't keep it locked away because it's not meant to function in isolation. It is meant to function optimally when it's connected to the other parts. Everyone has room in God's house. It's big enough for you to have purpose in every family. Every family member has a purpose. Like um, we said earlier, you're not just a seat filler. We don't believe in people coming to church and just filling a seat. We believe in you coming and activating your purpose that God has designed you to walk out. It's amazing what Peter writes about who God calls us to be in 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. It says, But you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness, praise God, to experience His marvellous light. And now He claims you as His very own. He did this so that you would broadcast His glorious wonders throughout the world. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet. But now you are drenched with it. And that's who God is calling us to be tonight. Our primary mandate, our primary purpose, if you like in life, is to be a priest to the world around us. And you know, a priest isn't just someone who works in a church who, you know, for me, my experience wore colourful robes. I liked the purple one, if you know what I'm talking about. That's not essentially what a priest is. A priest is literally just someone who has access to God and who can connect the common people to God. And that's who God has called us to be, to share the good news with people. 
Um, you know, I think a lot of us struggle with what our ultimate purpose is in life. I struggled with it, still struggle with it today. But really the answer is very simple. Just start being Jesus to people that are around you. Just start being a priest if you like. You know, find a more modern word for it if you like. Just start loving people. Start giving mercy to people, showing grace to people. I don't think we need to seek out you know, this whole mystical, massive purpose on our life. I think we just need to seek God out more, get close to Jesus, and He'll just lead you to where you need to be. I'm not saying, you know, if you've got a, a passion to do something and a vocation to do something, not to do that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's about our kingdom purpose, first and foremost. Everything that we do is about God and, and His people. And I think when we plant ourselves in God's house, we realise our value as a son and daughter of God. When we bring who we are to the family, our purpose comes alive. If we prioritise God's house as much as our home, we're in a team that is together building something so much bigger than ourselves. We start to own the family vision. And I love that, you know, when we step up, we step out, we play our part, our house starts to function on a whole other level. And the function of this house, the function of this family is not ordinary. We don't have an ordinary function like everyone else, but goes to my brings me to our third point that we have to commit to building towards eternity. Our function as this family, as this house, is actually to have an awareness of the people that we're bringing into God's family. God wants to grow His family. He doesn't want to just keep it, you know, to a few people in a room, but His heart is that more of His children would come home to come to know His redemption, to come to know His love and forgiveness, and that is what He's designed us to do. You know, an amazing image that the Bible uses to talk about this sort of purpose, if you like, in the Bible is the bride of Christ. Um, Really as a reality, if you haven't heard that before, there's a reality that God's people, His church, when we commit to being a part of it, um, God calls us His bride, that we are Jesus' bride. He is our bridegroom who is coming back for us one day. And as Christians, we're to live in a way that we're excited and anticipating His return, or His, which is our wedding day. And the way, wedding day is when He returns, as I said, to set things right once and for all, to reunite us with Him in eternity. And the relationship between us and Jesus is one of devotion, just like a married couple. That's why, you know, the Bible gives us this beautiful example in Ephesians 5. I'm going to read it quickly. It says, To the husbands, you are to demonstrate love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, His bride. For He died for us, sacrificing Himself to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the water of the Word of God. All that He does in us is designed to make us a mature church for His pleasure until we become a source of praise to Him, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. And I think God is doing a great work in His church and His desire is for us as a family to be radiant and glowing. And, you know, as I said, Daniel and I got married Uh, three years ago, just over three years ago. And, you know, the few nights leading up to the wedding, if you've been married or you've been involved in the wedding, you would know the bride does a lot of stuff to get herself ready. And I did a lot of things to get myself ready for Daniel. One of those things, um, he's a little bit metro and he doesn't like hairy arms. Sorry, ladies. So I waxed my arms. I don't know if you can see. Sorry, babe. I took my jacket off on purpose. But I know that he didn't like it. So I waxed my arm for the wedding. You know, I got the facial. You know, you do what you need to do. And I enjoy that stuff. I won't lie. So got myself ready and um, you get your dress and it's beautiful. And 
you know, I had, to, I had to throw you under there, babes. Had to get you back for this morning. But does anyone remember when Meghan Markle married Prince Harry and we were all like, I don't know about you, but I was like, what's she going to wear? What's her hair going to be like? What's her tiara going to be like? You're just pumped to see what the bride is going to look like. And I was so shattered when everyone just pulled down her hair, remember, because her fringe started falling out. Maybe I'm just obsessed with details. I thought she looked beautiful. Anyway, but the point is that people obsess about the bride. The anticipation that you experience on your wedding day is massive. And this is how God sees us. He is obsessed with us, with making us beautiful, spiritually beautiful, spiritually ready for the moment that He is going to come back um, to, to return to us. So we can see, play, see church as a place that we just come to on a Sunday, as just another place of our social circle for an extra part, in addition to our already hectic lives in today's you know, life. But when we commit to it being our home, we commit to living a life of anticipation, of preparation and a life of devotion. The reality is, is Jesus is calling us to a life of holiness, a life of um, love to Him and a life that brings glory to His name, that enables us to have intimacy with Him. And what I love about it is the more that you just walk and talk with Jesus, the more that you keep it relational, the more that you naturally just do fall more in love with Him and you do just become more like Him because His Spirit is at work with us, transforming us every day. The great thing is that we commit to growth, you know, we wax our arms, we get ready for our Saviour who promises, I know I'm being silly, but it's just true. We commit, He promises to come back for us and return to us, bring us in that environment in eternity where we get to spend every moment with Him. No more pain, no more suffering, just harmony and perfect love. But again, we cannot do that life alone. And of course, God empowers us through His Spirit to be able to walk that out. But we need other people. We need our family to sharpen us, to correct our path, to say, hey, why are you living like that? I know that you can live in a better way. I know that you can leave that behind and to uh, champion us to move forward. The same way that my bridesmaid's sole purpose not being vain, but was to make me look amazing all day. That is what the family of believers is for. It's to make sure that we're all on the same team. We're all on board and we're all looking beautiful for our Saviour's return. And I think more than ever, and I think you'd agree that we need to make that shift in our lives. We need to make that conscious decision to be a part of God's family, to become the home instead of just in, in attending a house. Because when we do that, people start to notice more than ever before, our hope is our world is crying out for hope and healing. They're crying out for answers, looking in all the wrong places, and we're not going to reach them if we just stay comfortable and if we just come to church like another thing that we do. That's not going to help anyone. Our families need us. My family needs me. Our workplaces need us. Our neighbours, wherever you are, whoever encounters you on your day to day, they need you to be Jesus to them, to show them mercy, to bring the church to them. If they're not going to come here, we're going to bring it to them, right? God's heart is that His family would expand, that more and more of His children would come home. This is not just for us to settle in and have a good time. I know sometimes it can be like that. We can just forget, get caught up in, you know, the good feeling of church, but our mandate is to go out there. It starts with us deciding to be the church, to commit to getting close to people, doing life in proximity with others, committing to bringing who we are and playing our part in the family and committing to build with eternity in mind. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.